I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. Welcome to this installment of Modernity and Absurdity. In this episode, I have a conversation with the Director of Africana Studies at Kane University, Dr. James Conyers. Dr. Conyers and I discuss African-American identity, Afro-Latinos, atheism, Tarzan, ancient aliens theory, African liberation, and a number of other issues. Now, unfortunately, this conversation took place before the Charleston Massacre and before Rachel Dolezal made a public statement. This interview offers, however, great insight into the Afrocentric perspective. I hope you enjoy. I have a couple questions here. Some of them aren't too deep. Some of them, uh, I just want to just scratch the yeah. surface and maybe if we can get a little bit deeper, I can. So the first thing I would ask you is, um, why is Africana Studies important? Why, why, why should we study it? Well, Africana Studies is important for several reasons, but I think I'll uh, put it under one umbrella. Dr. John Henry Clark, whose picture you see I, above I see there, that. I see that. Uh, was one of my teachers. And Dr. Clark always said that uh, the history of African people are the missing pages of world history. And Absolutely. this particular country is the, uh, the missing pages of American history. Mm -hmm. uh, the history of the world will be incomplete until the history of not only African people is included into the dynamic and history of world history, and in this case, American history, but until the legitimate history of all people mm -hmm. are included in the panorama of world history and American history in terms of their equal contribution to not only America, the United States, but their equal contribution to world history. Humankind Absolutely. began in Africa. I mean, this is a virtually an indisputable thing, except for people who are extremely religious or something of that, you know, young earth creationists and so on it. and so forth. But I mean, based upon all available scientific uh, information and uh, studies, uh, both the fossil record as well as the DNA record, mm -hmm life began in, in Africa. So humankind began in Africa, and clearly African civilization, uh, in its human civilization in its earliest formation, began in Africa. Absolutely. At one point in time, as you probably already know, uh, there were only about, estimated about 10,000 human beings in the world. Oh, yeah, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, and they were all in Africa. So human beings were as endangered hard life. as many of the great apes are endangered, endangered now, you know, so again, uh, but beyond that, in terms of the contribution of African people to world history, which many people do not know about, and many people think that African people have not contributed everything, anything, uh, African people have played every part in the human dynamic that other people have played. We have been the rulers, we have been the kings, we have been the justice, we have been, the, we've been, we've played every role in the history of human people, uh, humankind. If you look at the history of any other so-called racial group, and that in and of itself is a mythology, Absolutely. but you look in terms of any other so-called racial group in any other part of the world, 
all of the dynamics that you find among African people can be found among those other groups of people. So Africana studies is important in terms of all people, but especially African people in this country and throughout the world, understanding the dynamics of African civilization, what African civilization has contributed to the world, and within that, African people then can reestablish themselves as a viable, as an intelligent, as a creative people, along with any other group on the planet. So, and again, here in the United States in particular, uh, it is important for everybody to understand the dynamics of African history in this country as well as in other places, because a part of that brings about a liberation of the mind. Absolutely. You know, uh, especially for African people. Most African people in this country, and I dare say throughout the world, but especially in this country, the African-American, uh, knows very, very little about their history. And many African-Americans themselves are running away from their history just as other people are running from their history. It is impossible to have an entire group of people in the United States and now probably throughout the world who call themselves niggers and at the same time have uh, an appreciation and an understanding of the history for any reason. There's no argument that can be made. And I know a lot of the rappers and other people make the argument. Mm -hmm. No, we're not saying nigger, we're saying nigger. We're, yeah, all of these kinds of, of, of rationales. That in and of itself shows, suggests that a people are not in touch with the history because no people who are psychologically healthy use a pejorative to describe themselves under any situation. Yeah. I, I myself have a hard time saying the word nicotine mm -hmm. is almost too close to the word yeah. nigger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you understand what I'm talking yeah. about. And it's much deeper than that. And then, of course, in classrooms, you get the argument that anybody can be a nigger and so on and so forth, which are ludicrous it's arguments. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's not the same because there's no psychological impact. You know, I understand the argument that anybody can be dumb, lazy, shiftless. You're not reinforcing yeah, systems of Exactly. If you call someone who's not black that, there's no psychological impact on them any more than it would be if someone called me a chink or someone called me a coolie or someone called me a guinea yeah. or maybe guinea a little bit yeah. because guinea really it was applied to Italians because it was thought by other white people that Italians came from Guinea yes. and Africa. So that's where the term guinea they're darker people. Exactly. So they're in a white, way, but they're not. They're not white enough. No. Yeah. Exactly. In a way that almost implies to us because Guinea is former Guinea is yes. in Africa. So, you know, again, that has some implications for us, but not in the way that they want to make it seem. So, so again, African studies is important. It makes other people. It brings about a sense of humility also on other people when they begin to, I guess you might say, unveil the history of African people and find out that many of the things that they thought they contributed to civilization actually began in Africa. Absolutely. You know, and so again, it brings a sense of humility on people. It opens people's minds up. It brings an enormous sense of accomplishment and pride to African people so that we don't have to argue any longer about, you know, I'm not black, I'm brown, I'm not this. When you understand that the term... A few people, yeah. When you understand that the term black is a term of pride, it identifies us with the blackness of our ancestors, no matter what our current complexion may be as African people. But the term African is not. The term African actually tells us who we are. You know, it identifies us with the thing that all people on the planet identify with, land, history, and culture. Now, most black Americans now can accept being called African-American. But if you just use the term African with them, they have a problem. 
you know, African people in this country are the only people that when you they describe who they are, must put American behind it. No other group of people have to do that. If an Italian says I'm an Italian, they don't have to say American. If a Irishman says I'm Irish, they don't have to say American. If a German says any other group of people, African people are the only ones that must put American behind it for two reasons. To make ourselves quite often feel comfortable saying that we're African and to make other people feel comfortable with them knowing that we have no identification with Africa. Because when we do, that is problematic for many people in a political, cultural sense. Yes. That we have this conscious association with it. You know, So again, that's why Africana studies is important for a whole host of reasons beyond that. But those are the basic reasons. I see you have Dr. Clark up there, like yeah. you mentioned. I remember right. listening to an interview with him, and he said that when he was a boy, <clears throat> when he was in school, he was told... When he asked, well, what about African history? And he was flat out told, your people have no right. history. You, you were brought into civilization right. by, by other people. It's, exactly. it, it, it's, it's a shame. Well, actually, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember that. I was told that also. Mm. Uh, when I was in public school, I grew up on the Lower East Side of New York, the East Village, Greenwich Village, right? <laughs> I was born in Harlem, but I was raised on the Lower East Side. And I went to public school, PS 97. And I can very remember very distinctly. I still remember the teacher's name, Miss Carey very distinctly we were in the second grade and then you know subsequently third fourth fifth and on uh telling us that african people and as children you don't know any difference as african people we really had no history and what she would do is she would read us stories of little black sambo but in the way she read it was an insult yeah so she would emphasize his big lips and his black skin and we would as children would laugh because we were running away from being black too we had no other frame of reference but that and so we were told very very clearly Heard it many times in many grades that African people uh, had no history, had no culture, and slavery was a benefit to us. You know, it brought us into the world of, you know, Western civilization. It civilized us. And some of the teachers even went as far as saying, you know, if it wasn't for white people, we wouldn't have a roof over our heads. But as children, we wouldn't know how to respond to that. Uh, and in fact, we saw nothing wrong with that because we were going along with whatever the teachers, the authorities were responsible how it was for our education to teach us. So, you know, it wasn't until my personal uh, journey, it wasn't until I heard Malcolm that I started asking questions. Malcolm I, had identity issues when he was younger, too. All, everybody did. Red hair. Everybody mm -hmm. did. Back in the days, if someone called you black, you were ready to fight. If somebody called you African, you were ready to kill him. Because all we saw on TV was Jungle Jim, Tarzan, Sheena of the Jungle. I still remember those names. And of it's course. Amazing Tarzan could speak to the animals. Yeah, but nobody exactly. else in Africa could. Exactly. I mean, the whole thing is a racial insult. I mean, the, the whole idea of, you know, a, a European baby being lost in the jungle and the apes all of a sudden want to raise this European white baby and as if no black person had ever been lost in the jungle and the apes wouldn't want to yeah. do that. As if the apes innately saw something superior in this young white child that African people have lived uh, in Africa for thousands of years and here comes this little white child that can grow up in Africa master the environment of African people which we couldn't do master the languages of the animals talk to the animals and we've been there forever and can't do any of that and keep in mind that Edgar Rice Burroughs himself was a eugenicist oh all those old pulp writers many of them. exactly you know craft I mean? was, was vicious with uh, many with of them was exactly and so, again, in and of itself, it's an insult. And many of us were forced to, uh, you know, incorporate that into our personalities and into our understandings of ourselves and the world around us. 
I myself did everything I possibly could as a young person. I'm talking about in public school, third grade, to change the texture of my hair. You know, uh, all kinds of creams, all kinds of stuff to have what we call waves and get all kinds of things. You know, I used to look in a mirror and see a white person there, wishing I would look like a little mm -hmm. white boy, little white boy in my class. You know, so the uh, the inculcation of Western values and Western understanding, Western aesthetics has been really deep and it's still with us. It has not gone away. We still have problems in the black community throughout the world, not just here, throughout the world of color identification because we've all been taught there's something essentially and fundamentally wrong with dark skin, thick lips, broad noses, woolly hair, yeah. and we're still going through that. And again, it's become a part of the culture for many black people around the world most black women nowadays do whatever they can to make sure that the texture of their hair is straight. Mm. You know, and they don't even think about it. It's just something you do naturally. In my class, I have to talk about it and I explain it. But they just do it naturally. They think this is the normal state of their hair. Yes. When you question them, then they'll give you a rationale. I do it because if I don't do it, I won't get a job. I do it because it's easier to fix my hair. Yes. And I keep pointing out, had you never come in contact with white people... Fix is an interesting word. Yeah. Had you never come in contact with white people, you wouldn't think that. You would just do your hair. You wouldn't think it was too hard to do. Yes. You know, you did it for thousands of years before you met these people, and you had no problem with it. Now, all of a sudden, your hair is too hard and too difficult to groom. You see, unless you have a comparison for that, you could never think it. Someone told you that. Someone implied that directly or indirectly during slavery. This is where we get the Aunt Jemima from, right? Oh, yeah. The covered my, my hair. My dad tells me, Aunt Jemima yeah. today is right. not the Aunt Jemima of the 50s and exactly. 60s. Exactly. <laughs> but the covering of the hair oh, yes. was because the hair was, was, you know, too harsh for whites to see. You know what I mean? And quite often the hair was unkempt anyway. And so, again, they had to always be covered, you know? And so our people began to pick up those traits, which are still very much with us today. I hear people all the time talking about this, even on this campus. You know, she's light-skinned and got good hair, and this one is too dark, and this one's lips are too, too big until they come to my class. You know, they probably say it after they leave my class, but while they're <laughs> in my class, see, this is how you get to understand what a person, get to know what a person really thinks and whether or not they have a, an ability to back up their thinking. And I tell them, never say anything that you cannot defend Absolutely. logically. You know what I mean? With facts. Don't say anything if you can't defend it. Yeah. You know, and when they come to my class, they can't defend it. You know, what they thought was a reality before they got there, they find out it's not reality after they're there and then subsequently when they leave. And on occasion, I get people coming back saying, listen, if I hadn't taken your course, I don't know where I'd be. I disagree with you then, but now I see that what you were saying was the absolute truth about that. It's interesting. I mean, um, I, I try to tell young people because I'm an adjunct professor now. Mm -hmm. I tell everyone that it should be mandatory that everybody takes a race and ethnic relations right. class because we have so many just preconceived notions and biases and exactly. prejudices that we're just totally unaware of, whether about ourselves or about everyone exactly. else. That it just it opens eyes. I mean, exactly. I remember being in those classes and you would see the light bulbs yeah. go on in people's heads. Right. And, just, and just let me just say one second, one other thing. Forgive me if I stutter a little bit. I bit my tongue this morning, oh, so that's why I'm, <laughs> you know, I was eating, and I bit my tongue on the side, so I'm having a little bit of difficulty <laughs> Pronouncing some words, but go ahead. Sounds good, sounds right, good. Right. So Africana studies implies the, the totality of, yes. of black people on, on planet right. Earth. Now this is important, especially here in um, northern New Jersey. Right. Um, 
where would you rate the importance of Afro-Latino, Afro-Caribbean, um, black people? How would you rate their importance with regards to African-American studies? Their, their importance is exactly the same as 100%. Uh, let me tell you why I say that. I make no distinction. Uh, if you're a person of African descent, I personally do not care whether you come from Cuba, whether you come from Brazil, whether you come from Venezuela, whether you come from Jamaica. I, do, I make no distinction. And the reason I make no distinction is like my teacher, Dr. Clark, I'm a Pan-African nationalist. Yes. Okay. I look at the totality of the African world and I see that our problems, wherever you may find us, are not only similar, you know, in most cases, they're actually the same problems with different nuances. So I make no distinctions. A person who comes from Latin America, if they're of African descent, whether they are phenotypically African or not phenotypically African, for instance, you can have a person coming from South America or someplace who doesn't look black in mm. phenotype, but is black genetically oh, and every absolutely. other kind of way and has a clear African identification. More than a person who is phenotypically black, like some here, and have no African identification, you know? I identify with all of our people everywhere. I have problems with our people who are anti-African themselves mm -hmm. and who don't think they're African, all right? And I make, I explain what I mean by black and what I mean by African, and I Please. did that a few minutes ago. Uh, black is a statement of identification. Yes. That's all. It identifies you, uh, at least here in the United States, uh, with the blackness of African of your ancestors, no matter what your current complexion may be, that's a statement of pride. Uh, say it loud: I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah. All right. African is not. African is a statement of consciousness. African, as I pointed out a little while ago, identifies you consciously in a political, social, and cultural format with land, history, and culture. Yeah. So when you say you're African, that's a lot deeper than saying you're black. Even though a person who says they're black still may be conscious. But African identifies you with land, history, and culture. If a person says uh, that they are Chinese, that identifies them with land, history, and culture. Simply saying you're yellow does not do that. Absolutely not. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, again, I make no distinctions among African people. I don't care where they come from. So Latino, Afro-Latino history is as important. I did a, a, a forum just this past uh, uh, year. The African experience in Spanish America. Yes. You know, and the reason I do that because the Afro-Latino history, the African-Caribbean history, be it Curacao, Jamaica, wherever it may be, it's one history. We all got to those places primarily through the advent of the business and enslaved Africans. Yes, there were African explorers who got to those places on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, the vast majority of us got there through those experiences. The rape of Africa was total whether by the Europeans or by the Arabs. Because mm. right? the Arabs had their own slave trade hundreds of years before Europeans Well, did. these people in North Africa now, Arab people, right. they weren't the people that were there thousands no, of years they ago. Weren't. They're just, they just live there now. Yeah, most of the people in North Africa right now uh, came in 640 of the Common Era, and they were people who were spreading Islam and conquered North Africa, sometimes mixing in with the people of North Africa, and sometimes not mixing in. You know, and bringing their own history and their own culture to North Africa. Every time I go to Egypt, you'll have a number of people in Egypt who will say that, number one, Egypt is not in Africa, and I have to show them the map. Oh, no. These are people who live there. Yeah. I have to show them the map. This is Africa right there. And that they are descendants of ancient Egyptians. They are not. No, they're not. You know what I mean? 
And so again, there's a lot of confusion about a lot of things. So people look at National Geographic and they'll see, uh, you know, uh, these people in Egypt, and they'll do a thing on scholars. The, and, a, a, exactly. You know, and they get the impression that tell you, oh, this is our history. Exactly. It's not. And I have had to tell people over there that and those people over there who are honest about it will also say it's not true. You know, the Arabs came in 640 from six from the six six sixties BCE <clears throat> onward. No African has ever ruled over Egypt from the six sixties. That begins the foreign the real foreign invasions. Yeah, there were invasions before that. No, the Romans, the Greeks. Yeah, no, but that's after six sixty. Yeah. Uh, but there were foreign invasions before that. We had the Hyksos. The Hyksos, yes. Who ruled over Egypt only for about maybe a hundred years. Some people say 200 is debatable, all right? Some people even say 50. And it had an impact, all right? But after that, you know, up until present time, no indigenous person of Egypt has ruled over Egypt, barring Sadat, who was part Nubian. Was he? Yeah, he was part Nubian. He, he looked darker than... Yeah, he was part yeah. Nubian. And that also created a lot of problems for him in terms of race over there. He was part Nubian. And so there's a lot of misconceptions about this. People take my class, they, their minds get blown when oh. they find out certain things about ancient Egypt and when they learn a little bit about the language and what the ancient Egyptians said about themselves. You know, and so again, but in, back to the original question, I make no distinctions between African people coming from any place. If you have the stamp of Africa directly or indirectly and you are claiming that, you are my brother and sister, all right? No distinction whatsoever. So all of the histories that you just mentioned are equally as important as African-American history, and they all tie together in terms of the African world history. No distinctions whatsoever. Every time I go to Cuba, anytime I go to Brazil, I make no distinctions. Those are all my folks. However, if someone comes to me and says they're not, they don't belong to me and I don't belong to them, you know, then as far as I'm concerned, you don't belong to me and I don't belong to you. If you tell me that directly as an individual, yes. then I'm done with you. I'm not even going to try to debate with you. It's not worth you know? it anymore. But in terms of the history, irrespective of what that individual may say, in terms of the history, these are all my folks. And the two strongest places that I know about in that part of the world in terms of African identification is Cuba and Brazil. You know I mean, it's interesting because Fidel Castro himself is a white man, uh -huh. but he historically and even to this day has enjoyed a lot of support from the African right. people in Cuba. Now, Cuba, from what I understand, is about 60 percent black. Yeah, it is. And, and Cuba, unlike the U.S., has actually come out and apologized for it, yeah. its previous history, whereas in right. this country, right. you can wait till the cows come home. That's, uh, yeah. that, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And even... Where my family comes from in Puerto Rico, there's right. a town called Luisa. And Carolina. Which is, Carolina, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's um, where the brothers and sisters come um, from. Uh, Roberto Clemente was yeah. from Carolina. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, speaking of Roberto Clemente, a lot of people don't know how important Roberto Clemente is, not only to African-American history, but the history of Puerto Rico. Oh, he's because, a, he's a, a, a god down there. Yeah, but he came out of the Negro Leagues here. You know that, right? I, I was not aware of that. Yeah. He played ball with them. For, he, for, yeah. But Roberto Clemente, when he got to the Pittsburgh Pirates, at one point in time, did you know the Pittsburgh Pirates are the first team in the major leagues to put onto the field an all-black team? I was not aware of that. Yeah, that's, that's Roberto Clemente. Amazing. Uh, what's the other guy who came from Cuba? The brother, uh, 
uh, not uh, not Tiant. This is where I need my father. My father's the baseball yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, well, your father should know this. Yeah. Roberto Clemente, when they had to go and eat in the back of the bus, in the back of the bus, Roberto Clemente said, no. He said, we're all African people. You know, there's even, if you see the documentary that they just recently did on Doc Ellis on HBO, it's called, what is it, Know Something, about Doc Ellis, right? And when he was with the, with the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they do a, a serious segment on the, the Latino, the Afro-Latinos on the team, mm. right? And so you had, and they talk about Clemente and what he did. They interview his wife. He's huge in Puerto yeah. Rico. Yeah, Clemente and the other guy from Cuban. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, It'll come to you as soon as I walk out. Yeah, Seguin. Uh, uh, I think that's his name, Seguin. And Seguin, they interview him. He's still alive. He says, he says something. They, would, they said, well, we're all, we, you know, they try to make Latino, black Latinos think that they're not black. He said, we're all black. Oh, they try to divide and Yeah, that's what he says in the interview. See, it's called No no Something. It's a documentary on Doc Ellis. It just was just recently on TV last I month. Look that one up. I well, they that talk about that. My radar. And you know, Roberto Clemente brought a a, a a a sense of black pride to the team, where some of the other black members were, you know, willing to acquiesce on some issues. Roberto said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." More than willing to share them with you it, guys. It, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I make no distinction. You know, uh, <clears throat> Pedro Campos, all of these people. You know. Uh, I make no distinction between them. Quite often, I have to tell people from Puerto Rico, and when they get funny and people from other places, you know, don't think that you don't have any African people in Puerto Rico. Oh. And if you open up the right door, you probably will have an African in your background. If you're a Puerto Rican, you got a little bit of everybody. Right, exactly. And just yesterday, right, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, they honored the African presence in Puerto Rico. That was the theme of the parade. Yesterday. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea in terms of the masses who may still be running from that, but in terms of at least the organizers, and probably Marta Vega, my classmate, was probably involved in other people who's very clear on this. You know, I brought Marta here a lot of times. She's very, very clear on this. You know what I mean? Uh, that she, you know, Afro Puerto Rican woman. I, she's clear. You know, I brought Georgina Falu here mm-hmm. just year. You know, uh, I was shocked. I was shocked to hear it because I know. From my experiences growing up on the Lower East Side in many places, that many, not just Puerto Ricans, Latinos, are absolutely running from that. You know, I've had people tell me right to my face, you know, let's not talk about blacks. You know, we want to get, you know, we want to purify the race and, you know. It's interesting. Yeah. You can't talk about Puerto Rican history right. without talking about black history. Now, I, were you aware, did you ever see the program uh, Black and Latin America with yeah. Henry Louis Gates? Yeah. I think Skip Gates is great. I think he could have made more of an attempt to pronounce right. some of those names yeah. in, with Spanish. Right. But right. that being said, he talks about the African influence on the Spanish language right. within Puerto Rico. Exactly. And it wasn't until I got older and I started to actually study right. the Spanish language and right. how it's quote-unquote supposedly supposed to be speak, spoken right. that I actually picked up on the accent that my family yeah. uses. The way that they speak Spanish has a very African influence. It, in it exactly. Also. I mean, salsa music. Yeah. Salsa music is very big. My dad tells me about... That began in Cuba. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cuba Cuba was always the, the big brother right. culturally right. to Puerto Rico. Right. Now, when Ali fought Foreman in Zaire, they sent a couple bands right. to Zaire to play, so James Brown went. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize was at the time in the 70s, the Fania All-Stars went. I know. And the African Johnny people... Johnny Pacheco and... Yeah. Ho- yeah. The uh, African people 
were, were more into the salsa music because right, yeah. it was more African right. than, than, the other thing. than James Brown and exactly. his funk music. It's, I mean, it's you had Johnny Pacheco there, you had Kako there, you had a whole bunch of people yeah. who, who, who had gone on that. There's even a documentary somewhere about that. Uh, that uh, what's it called uh, our Latin thing? I believe. No, no, oh. it's, a, it's a black documentary with all of the bands, and you had Johnny Pacheco and all of them with the people and yeah. talking about their African roots and all of that kind of stuff. You know, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's on. Was that on HBO? I'll find it. Yeah, I'll find it, it. It, <laughs> but it's really well done, and you see all of the salsa, the you know the uh, the uh, Fania All Stars going out, and you know the public, and you're right. They were more into that yeah. <laughs> than they were into black American music, which is not as African, yeah. even though it is African, yeah. as that in it, direct ways, you know. It, it's interesting. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier Egypt. Yeah. Right. So how important is ancient Egypt or Kemet to Africana studies? Very, I mean, would you say that African history is the foundation of human history? Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, Kemetic, uh, Kemetic studies or Egyptian studies... Uh, it's extremely important to the overall view of African history. Uh, Sheikh Anta Diop, the great Senegalese uh, historian, Egyptologist, scientist, and whatnot, once said <coughs> that the history of the world and of Africa will be held in suspension until historians dare to connect the history of Egypt with the overall history of Africa because it was an African civilization. It was the culmination of Africans from all parts of Africa migrating to the Nile Valley after the Sahara dried up, the desiccation. Yeah. And all of that came together to create that. People think that that desert was always it, there. It, it, it wasn't. It was it wasn't. Egypt, Dr. Ben used to say this, Egypt is to Africa as Greece is to Europe. Some people would even say that Egypt itself is... is, is the beginning of Western civilization. Right. Yeah, because the Greeks were heavily influenced by it. The Greeks and the Greek, Egypt. The Greeks held Egypt in the highest esteem, and they wrote about it in the absolute highest esteem. And the Egyptian influence on the Greeks is monumental in art, even in philosophy, in art, worldview. And in fact, I can't remember the Greek that wrote this, and it'll come to me, like you said, after you leave, <laughs> uh, uh, said that even... Each Africa, in terms of Africa being so important, that even the gods, Zeus and Apollo, came from Ethiopia. That is amazing. You know? That I, even I, I the, wasn't even aware of that. Yeah. Even the gods, Zeus and Apollo, came the from Ethiopia. Yeah, God exactly. And exactly. Came from Ethiopia. That, that's you amazing. I, people want to deny it, I but know. that's the history. Now, uh, I used to love the History Channel right. as a kid, and it's just become a, a farce of right. what it once was. Mm -hmm. um, have you heard of ancient aliens yeah. theory? Is that would you consider that a racist theory? Like we look at the Greeks, mm -hmm. we look at the Romans, right. we look at um, Cahokian mound builders, mm -hmm. but specifically when it comes to the Mayans right. and the Egyptians, all of a sudden it wasn't these people that could right. build it. It had to be it had to be right. space aliens. It was yeah. everybody but the people yeah. that lived there. When it comes to most ancient people who are non white peoples, all right, you get the impression the way these things are implied, that the only way these people could have accomplished these things was through the help of some outside interve intervention coming from some distant star someplace and coming here and doing certain things. You really never get that impression when it comes to talking about uh, European history. 
You know what I mean? But just keep in mind also that European history is not as ancient as the history of the rest of the world. Absolutely not. If you go to a museum, most of the stuff in the museum actually comes from the ancient non-white world, yeah. <laughs> not from their world. And so when how it's applied does have that racist element to it, how it's applied, you know. Uh, how else could these people do this thing? Yeah, I'm obviously some space people came here and helped them levitate Easter the blocks Island, yeah. yeah, into place. And obviously, and so, you know, you can make a mystery out of anything that you, you want to make. But very rarely have I ever seen anything applied in such a way to European peoples that, you know, you get this impression that, you know, the star people came here and yeah. did this thing. You know, even when you're talking about certain things like Atlantis, they make Atlantis, oh, yeah. you know, a European kind of thing, even yeah. though there's no evidence for that. Absolutely if if you believe that Atlantis existed yeah. uh, at all. People you don't know? realize it was it was just something Plato was talking about. It, it, story. It, it, exactly, yeah. it, exactly. You know, and so again, you do get this get this impression that, uh, and I I do believe that in many cases, it may not necessarily be consciously directed, but unconsciously directed. But as far as we're concerned, it makes no difference whether it's conscious or unconscious. It still has the same impact. Still there. Still there. Only in certain cases. There are other people who certainly outright, you know, do it consciously. But quite often, at least on these programs that you see on the History Channel, it is covered up and masked in such a way to make it the viewer see this as legitimate mystery. I had an uncle try to talk to me about that. I was right. like, deal. Right. I was like, just right. please don't. Exactly. Do not. And there's even there. something. There's even something on the internet that you can get where people have done some research. It's called "Ancient Aliens Debunked." Oh, I, I'm very much well aware yeah. of Ancient Aliens Debunked. Yeah, so that you, you you can see that. But again, even certain questions like uh, this past week, I watched it. This whatever this guy's Giorgio, whatever his oh, name yeah. is. Uh, was totally By the way, he, he has marketed himself as I know. some kind of scholar. He's never published anything. He's never written anything. Right. But there he is, front and center. Right. Now, here's, here's one thing that comes to the fore right Subulos. away. Right, whatever his name is. Yeah. yeah. Comes to the fore right away. They're looking at this particular area, uh, Puma Punku. Oh, right? of course. Yeah. And they say, well, these buildings must have put, be put together so that the, uh, uh, the, the alien spacecraft would have a, a, a ramp, a, a launching ramp. And my question would be, why would beings who have to travel millions of miles to get here, once they get here, need a launching ramp to oh, leave? Yeah. I mean, they made it here, and all of a sudden they need, they need, they a, need, a, yeah, they, they need a launching ramp to, 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 to go someplace, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, it just uh, When you look at the, uh, the theories seriously, a lot of them just fall apart. And a Absolutely. lot of them are outright lies because, you know, Von Donegan admitted lying about a lot of the stuff. Well, his, his whole deal is, oh, I was asking questions. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, yes, it does have that racist uh, tincture to it, you know, because generally it's just applied to non-European peoples. You know, you never get this stuff really about, you know, uh, the, the only way the Romans could do this or the only way the Greeks could, could do that is because these star people came to them and showed them how to do this and how to do that. You might get a little bit of it, but it's not nothing like, you know, and it has a totally different inference when you hear it. You don't get the same impression. Yeah, you know? I mean, they, they try to talk about uh, uh, Stonehenge, but those were white right. people that were in the hinterland. Right. So they weren't, they weren't the, the center of, uh, exactly. of, of white civilization. Right. I'm just going to throw out a couple right. facts here. Um, U.S., you and I know, uh, right. a lot of people out there know, it's prison capital of the world. Right. If I'm not mistaken, Louisiana is the prison capital yeah. of the world. There are about one million black people in prison in the USA right. today. Um, 
out of uh, two point, I'm sorry, out of 39 million black people in the U.S., 2% of black people are in prison. Mm -hmm. um, blacks are incarcerated at six times the rate of whites. Right. There are 26% of juvenile arrests. Five, five times as many whites use drugs as black people, but black people are sent to prison at 10, ten times the... Right. Uh, the rate. I mean, these 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 numbers are astonishing. And more whites sell drugs than black people. I don't oh, know if you mentioned that. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So just keeping that in the uh, in, in in the back of your mind, um, this is going to be a little bit leap. Looking at President Obama, mm -hmm. um, obviously extremely momentous, historical, um, black president, first ever black president. Um, and any any thoughts about that on his record as president? What has he done for for black people in terms of? I mean, he, he's a good liberal. I'll give right. him that. He's a good right. center liberal. But in right. terms of black people and elevating black right. people, what what has uh, President Obama done for African Americans? From where I stand, as an Afrocentrist and as a Pan African, it's a terrible disappointment for African people. And I would dare say, terrible terrible disappointment for much of the expectation that the rest of the world had for him. Absolutely. Uh, He's he a got Nobel Peace Prize. I know. He's a gatekeeper. <laughs> uh, he is someone safe, you know. Absolutely. He is safe for the nation. Uh, if he wasn't safe, he wouldn't be the president, you know. He is safe for the nation. He is going to, he's not going to do anything outside of uh, the normal patterns of what a president would do. Uh, and, again, his... Uh, Things that he's said and done has indicated to me and many other people that he really is not going to do anything uh, directly or indirectly uh, for African people in any major way. I mean, there will be some talk about this, you know, my brother's keeper, which is, <laughs> you know what I mean, that kind Trayvon of thing. Trayvon Martin would look like my yeah, son. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, again. And they uh, jump on him for that. As yeah. little as he does, he takes a breath of fresh right. air and they jump on him right. for it. Uh, he's a gatekeeper. He's just like any other president, and that's one of the reasons he's there. Uh, the first election, I didn't even vote for him. I voted for uh, uh, Cynthia McKinney, okay. who, who was saying and doing things that were more directly related to African people. The I believe she ran as for the Green Party. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The second election, I had to vote for him because of you know Romney and other people, Maybe. you know, were just weighing the you know the lesser of two evils. Uh, again, there, there has been nothing in this, as far as I've been able to see, in any direct way. And somebody a lot wiser and a lot older is going to have to show it to me. Any direct way uh, in it for African people. Uh, what In the first election, when I was raising these issues, and which I did, all right, uh, many black people that I raised the issue with, and of course, black people were so enthusiastic about it, you Absolutely. couldn't raise, raise any criticisms at all without having your head chopped off because it was like, this is the first one on my block, the first one on my job. Yeah, he's what, yeah. Exactly, and the doors of America are gonna open up to us if we just get him in there. So in the first thing, I posed some questions, and uh, we, even had a, we even had a forum in Harlem called, Is Obama Good for African People? My sister was one of the presenters and a whole bunch of people, right? And <clears throat> one of the questions that I posed is that when you come out and vote some, for somebody in overwhelming numbers, numbers, what is the political return that you expect to get. Oh yeah. And see most black people couldn't answer that question. They got actually got mad with me asking the question, what is the political re return? Well, the way they would What's ask the, the exactly. Any every group of people, they, they expect the payoff. Jewish people got a payoff. 
right? He's going to support Israel. Uh, you know, there's a payoff. Women got a payoff. But exactly. What is the payoff for us, right? In a direct way, right? Well, <clears throat> most black people in America said, well, he can't do anything in the first election because if he does anything or tries to do anything, oh, he won't get elected in the next time, right? Yeah. Now we're at the end of the next election. See, these were the rationales that were put forward. No difference that I have been able to see. The difference is that he has a pleasing temperament. He may be well-meaning. He's a great politician. Exactly. But that has nothing to do with the issues facing African people. When he leaves office, while he's in office, the issues of importance to us remain unfulfilled and unanswered. You know, all of the things are still the same. And as far as I'm, I know, and you can correct me if I'm mistaken on this, I don't even believe but Obama sent a representative to the conferences in Cuba and other places, in Brazil and other places, on racism in the world today. I don't believe there was an American... Uh, uh, I have to look into that. Yeah, I don't believe there was an American person that went. In fact, I'm pretty sure of it. Mm. You know, that there was no American representative from government that went to the conferences, you know what I mean? And so, again, just an ordinary president. Just an ordinary president. Just an ordinary... He's, he does what presidents do. Mm. There's no, there, it has been nothing in it, in it for us. Yeah. You know? It just the only, Well, there was something for us. Many of us got to feel good. What about health care? Health care is a benefit for all Americans. Absolutely. But it's mandated, mandated corporate health care. Right. It's not exactly. single payer. Exactly. It's made the, the corporations love it now. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's something a president would do, given the right circumstances. You know, but in terms of specificity for African people, which is what many African people hope would happen, there's nothing there. You know? Jewish people get absolute support on anything that has to do with Israel, and that's a foreign country. Yeah. You know, that's not here. That's the first state. Exactly. <laughs> that's a foreign country. You know, and other issues, but nothing specific that goes down that we can look back and say, this person has our back. You know, even when he takes a stance on something, he later reverses it. Like with the Henry Louis Gates situation, oh, he brings yeah. the cop to the White House. I mean, what president would bring a cop to the White House to discuss... The Beer Summit. Exactly. I mean, you know, I understand his positioning, you know, but that's not what we need. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And it so look, It looked good on TV. Right. And this is why people like Harry Belafonte and even to a certain degree Cornel West had oh, made... He's not around anymore. They cut him out. I know, but had major criticisms of him. See, in my opinion, if Harry Belafonte begins to critique you, and Harry Belafonte loves everybody. If he begins to critique you, all right, he's as liberal as you get. He's as integrationist. There is something wrong. Mm. You're not even talking about the radicals like me That's and other a red people. Flag. Yeah, when he begins to talk about stuff, there's obviously something wrong. You see what I'm saying? You're not talking about the radicals. You know, I would be considered a radical. They, they wouldn't even let you yeah, in, exactly. the same, in the same uh, building. Exactly. When he starts <laughs> doing it, that's an indication that something is wrong. When he says this, that, or the other, that's an indication that something's wrong. But as far as I can see, you know, astute politician, intelligent. Well-spoken. Yeah, we've always had those things. Absolutely. But in terms of what African people, at least someone like me, were hoping to get out of this, there's nothing there. Just a president, all right? And as any well-meaning president or any good president, you get certain kinds of things. So you get health care. You get, you know. But in terms of specificity for African people, 
And I do believe in the back of African people's minds, this is what they were hoping for. Now we have somebody will, who will challenge. I was hoping for the new New Deal. It yeah. never came. Even exactly. He never said it. I was hoping. Exactly. It. <laughs> He's a gatekeeper. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a gatekeeper. He's going to do what American presidents have always done. He's the face of the empire. Exactly. But I've got a quote for you. Let's yeah. bring it back to baseball momentarily. Right. In an interview with uh, Michael Eric Dyson, who is firmly, he's firmly um, jumped in the uh, the Obama camp. Right. He actually said, he said, Obama is Jackie Robinson. I'm mm -hmm. waiting for Willie Mays to come okay. hit a home run. I can go along with that. I can go along with that. You know what I mean? Uh, again, I respect Obama. I bear him no malice as an African person or any of those things. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just as a Pan-Africanist, you know, and as an Afrocentrist, from where I sit, there was nothing there. There is nothing there, you know, of any magnitude of importance for us. I mean, he had the power of the presidential pen. A lot of stuff could have happened. He is the bully pulpit, which in my exactly. opinion is the greatest weapon exactly. of the president. And Bush used it like a champion. Right. You know, he wanted to set up, you know, bases in Africa and do the, the normal thing that... Conservatives are great at the bully. Yeah. Liberals, right. not so much. I know. And so, again, I think he'll go down in history, you know, uh, in comparison to someone like George Bush or something like that, mm -hmm. or, you know, Andrew Jackson, as a good president. And, again, that's what America will see. But those of us who are in the trenches, uh, we don't see that. Dr. John Henry Clark, I was asked this in an interview, Dr. John Henry Clark, would not have been impressed by anything. How that, big was his influence on you? Oh, monumental. Monumental. Uh, absolutely monumental. That's how I got to Hunter College. He told me to come. I mean, I met Dr. John Henry Clark when I was 12 years old. Wow. I saw Malcolm. I might have been at the end of being 12 or just beginning to be 13. And at that time, when I first heard John Henry Clark, uh, he was, he was, the things that he said that I heard him say had an impression on me, but it didn't stick. It wasn't until after I heard Malcolm that it stuck, you know, and then I went back and I started finding and being around Dr. John Henry Clark. So his, his presence was monumental, you know, in every conceivable way in terms of consciousness, in terms of historical perspective, uh, just absolutely monumental, you know. And he opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know. Uh, and then behind him, you know, there are many, many others, you know, Dr. Ben, uh, quite a few others, you know. But Dr. Clark, I mean, not just for me, for generations. Oh, yeah. And you can find his videos on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, millions of hits. People yeah. people love him. I mean, yeah. one of the few times I was actually going to give money to BAI, right. was, I was trying when to get my hands him. on one yeah. of his lectures. Yeah. Right. Well, I have plenty of them at home. I mean, you know, we were always together. In fact, I was with him two weeks before he passed. Oh. He was in my car, him and his wife, Sybil, and we were going to get something to eat, and we were discussing politics. And uh, then I went down to Alabama, and I got a call down in Alabama. It was about a week and a half later that he had passed. So while in Alabama, I hooked up with Dr. Uh, Kobe Cambone from Florida A&M, and uh, we went down to the homecoming in Georgia, and we made Dr. met Dr. Asa Hilliard there and quite a few other people there, you know what I mean? How did you take his death? Uh, I took it pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. You know, he, again, his, his influence and his knowledge encyclopedic, no. you know, was just, you know, I used to try to trick him, you know, when I was a <laughs> young student. And he always knew more about whatever it is I was trying to talk about than I did. Way more, you know. So his influence is, is monumental. I still go over to his house mm. and see his wife, you know, Sybil, Mama Sybil. And, but, woo, 
monumental. In fact, a few years ago, I did the uh, I was the keynote speaker at the John Henry Clark Symposium at the Schomburg Library. That's interesting. They invited me to do it. You know, it's recorded. You know, they invited me to do that. So, uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. How do you define yourself, a scholar, teacher, historian? You're a Pan-Africanist. Um, scholar activist. Scholar activist. Scholar activist, yeah. Scholar activist. Yeah. Within that, it incorporates everything that I am, an Afrocentrist, a Pan-Africanist for me, you know. So I consider myself a scholar activist, you know. And uh, for whatever means that I can influence minds, uh, and I'm not just talking about African minds, you know, whatever means that I can do to influence mind both in and out of the classroom, that's what I do. I mean, having conversations with people in my office here, on the streets, on the corners, wherever I'm at, the work continues. Uh, never ending. It never ends, you know. Uh, and as an Afrocentrist, it means that I'm Afrocentric all the time, all right? And so I do what I do all the time. When I go to bed, I'm thinking about things, you know, I do what I do all the time. And let me just say a few words about Afrocentricity. Absolutely. A please. lot of people assume that in this context of racism in the form of white supremacy, the assumption is that if a black person has their best interests at heart and speaks to their best interests at heart, it means that they hate some other group of people. Doesn't mean that at all. Black power and white power are not the same thing. Exactly. It doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that I use Afrocentricity, which means having the best interests of African people at heart, and it also means have, having African history and culture at the center of my critical analysis on everything. What it means is that I assert what all people assert, my best interests. I get to speak to my interests. I get, get, I get, uh, get uh, excuse me, <coughs> I get to organize around my interests. I get to liberate minds without the notion of hating other people, you see? When we come together, we come together as African people, other people can come together as Asians, other people can come together as Europeans, and we meet at the table of humanity with our different perspectives, honoring each other's perspectives. We may disagree about issues, but we honor each other's perspectives as long as one perspective does not seek to dominate all the others. Yes. Right now, Eurocentricity seeks to dominate all the other perspectives and says, it is the one perspective that's correct, directly or indirectly. No one has to say it directly. It is the correct perspective, and all of the other perspectives are illegitimate. And everyone who adopts that worldview through enculturation or any other means puts that forward. So thus, when someone like me comes along, they say, what's wrong? They see me as being crazy, as a mm -hmm. radical, as a militant, and all those kinds you're, of well, things. Well, you're in favor of black people, which means you yeah. must hate everyone else. A a exactly, Congress. exactly. And that actually flips history on its head, because in this country... It is actually the opposite, mm. you know? So the assertion of myself and others like me for our liberation, for our perspective, is actually a liberating experience while everyone else is asserting a European worldview through enculturation. So this is their values, their aesthetics, whatever it is, they assert that. And even African people assert that. And so obviously when someone else says something that is not a part of what is considered to be common sense, all right, and that's what this is. It's considered common sense. Then people will label you, you know. And I've been called every kind of label here oh, sure. on this campus as well as other places that you can imagine. What do you want your legacy to be? Well, again, you know, Dr. Clark used to say, uh, in talking about the legacy of others and the history of African people, he used to talk about a number of people being in the movement who are people who take a low profile. I'm one of those people. 
I take a low profile, all right? I don't need to be in the public eye. Mm. You know, we, there are other people who can be in the public They're eye. Out there. Yeah, exactly. You know, my legacy in terms of what I do will hopefully be the liberation of African people. Okay. I don't need my ego to it's be... a simple task. Yeah. My, <laughs> yeah, my ego doesn't need to be satisfied by being out and having everybody know me and so on and so forth, even though a lot of people do know me. My legacy, if one person can come back to me, whether they ever remember me afterwards or not, and say, you know, listen, taking your course or listening to you on the radio or seeing you outside someplace, answer a specific question for me. Help liberate my mind on a specific question. That is my legacy, you know, and that's what I consider to be my legacy, you know. Whatever I can do in any way that I can do it, no matter how small or how large it is, you know, is my legacy. My legacy is also my family, those members of my family that I can educate and that take it to heart. My legacy is also other people who hear one word that I say and take it to heart and learn something and, des and desire and determine to go find out more. That's my legacy. So my legacy may be an invisible one as compared to Dr. Clark or Malcolm, but that's my legacy. And I'm satisfied with that, that's cool. that I have done my part. I, again, I don't need to be in the public eye. I've always tried to maintain a low profile, except on this campus where I can't. But again, I don't need it. My ego doesn't need it. What my ego needs is the liberation of African people. And my, my ego need, needs to ensure that I put forward the best of what I have and what I know to people out there, knowing that those people who disagree with me now, I may be planting a seed that will grow years later. You know what I mean? And so, and it has happened. People have come back to me 20 years later and said, listen, if you hadn't said that one thing, you know, my life might have taken a different turn. And so that's what I consider to be my legacy, you know. I don't need, uh, again, for people to be praising me as a great historian or any of those kinds of things, you know what I mean? I don't need to be in the public eye, oh, he's so wonderful, and I don't need any of that. Dr. Clark used to say, there are people who need to do, get the work done quietly. You know, and the moment I heard him say that, you know, you know I decide, uh, decided that I would be one of those people. Everybody doesn't need to be in the public eye, you know, just get the work quietly. And let me tell you how he said this. He was doing a discussion on Japan before the Second World War and Japan during the Second World War. Okay. And he talked about the Japanese bomb maker who made Japanese aerial torpedoes, right? Okay. And what he said was, this person contributed to the Japanese war effort, to the betterment of Japan, it, it, even if it was, it was corrupt in yeah. that way. And he walked the streets and nobody ever knew who he was. But through his efforts, you understand what I'm saying? He contributed. And that's where I see my legacy. Through my efforts, I'm one of many people who will probably be unknown who contribute to the development of the whole. You see, I don't need to be in a book. I don't need to have... Yeah, but I contributed to the development of the whole. And what else can a Pan-Africanist ask for? Mm -hmm. What else can an Afrocentrist ask for? Just help. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And that's, that's my legacy. You know, I came from a place uh, on the Lower East Side where, you know, people were running in the streets and I was one of them, you know. Uh, I was a gangbanger and all those kinds of things, you know what I mean? I don't need, you know, to be out front on anything. I need just what I'm interested in and getting the work done, you know. Once I left the streets and after I heard Malcolm and all of that kind of stuff, 
I said, this is what I need to be doing. You know, this makes sense, mm. you know, and that's what I do. But so again, in a nutshell, that is what I consider to be my legacy. How I contribute to the overall pattern of our struggle is my legacy. Some people create, uh, contribute in a large way that everybody knows who they are, and other people contribute in a smaller way. Nobody knows who they are, but nonetheless, we all contribute to the benefit of the whole. You know, if everybody's in the public eye, it ain't gonna work. They can't. They're it's not top gonna, heavy. Exactly. A couple more questions yeah. here. What is African liberation? Yeah, African liberation for me <clears throat> is number one, first and foremost, the liberation of African thought, speech, and action. And what do I mean by that? I mean liberating African thought from the clutches of European thought. Mm. That's the first thing, all right? From that, liberating African thought, everything will follow and flow. It gives African people a sense of determination, a sense of destiny, a sense of accomplishment. You have to first know yourself. You have to first- Know thyself. Exactly, build on the accomplishments of the past, knowing that you can do something, knowing that you have a track record for doing something. That's what I mean first and foremost. That's what an Afrocentrist does, uh, liberating the African consciousness. The second thing I mean by that is liberating the African continent and the African world, developing a scenario or helping to develop a scenario in which African people the world over develop what Dr. Clark used to call an African world union where we cooperate with one another to the best of our ability. We can trade with one another. We can trade with other people. We can trade with them. We really another. don't need the other world, the rest of the world. No, we got all the resources. And that's what I'm saying. Even China is right. buying up as much land as they can. Exactly. And of course, I, I look for the liberation of the African continent. But in order to do that, there are certain things that have to happen, monumental challenges that have to happen for me. And a lot of people, even in the Afrocentric movement, disagree with me on this. One of, the thing, one of the things that has to happen for me, or should happen for me, is the liberation of African minds from religions. Uh, are you an atheist? Yes. I'm an atheist. African people are very, very religious and spiritual people. Very much We so. are religious suckers. And quite often, religions hold us back from taking the necessary action or even having the necessary consciousness to do an action for a lot of reasons. I don't care whether it's Christianity or Islam or anything else. All of those things are man-made things. You know, if there is a deity, which I doubt, but if there is a deity, it damn sure ain't one of those things. Absentee landlord. Exactly, because no deity could be that foolish or even that crazy to do the things that this deity has people doing in the books. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, but I personally, do not need that. I was born this way from my earliest days. Uh, I, I, you know, looking back on it from my own earliest moments of consciousness, I was asking questions. It didn't feel right. It feel as a child, it felt like a lie. You know what I mean? And I was asking questions even from two, three years old. And then when I began studying it, I found out what was wrong. You know what I mean? And so again, these religions, Many black people will pay more allegiance to the religious ideology. Latinos too. Exactly, I know. Then allegiance to getting themselves together as a people. You see? Especially in Islam, but all of the religions. You know what I mean? And so, again, uh, and 
I would hope, you know, that many African people would not be so controlled by religion and would be able to put the religion aside as one thing, something you do at home at the very minimal, and then put all the political, social, economic stuff in the forefront and you do this, and then you can just on your own say, well, you know, God had us do this <laughs> without telling us, okay? Unfortunately, that's not what happens. Uh, we are clearly religious suckers, and everybody who comes in contact with us knows that all they have to do is drop a religion on us and we're gone. Some of these these, these, yeah. these creatures on TV. Exactly. In fact, you know, I tell people quite often, somebody could invent a religion right now and walk outside this office and next week they have 200 black people following them. Make up a religion. All you got to do is tell them it's true. God gave me a revelation. Oh, they're out there. Black Hebrew Israelites, yeah, exactly. Rastafarians, Nation of yeah. Islam. Right across the street from me. The Israelites have a uh, their store. It used to be Al Sharpton's uh, a center, right across the street from me, hmm. you know, and they're out there all the time, you know. And so I, yeah, again, so for me, there has to be some type of liberation from religious thought. If you're not going to put away, uh, put it away entirely and get rid of it entirely, well, listen, just put it in the closet. Let's do what we have to do, you know, and. Let's stop sitting around talking about you got to have faith in the Lord and, you know, just pray to the Lord. Things are going to get better. And that allows it's you... It's a secret because nobody's hoping things will get better in Africa or India exactly. or Guatemala or El Exactly. And thinking to yourself, you know what I mean? I prayed and then, you know, the Lord gave me money for my rent. You know, I mean, things of this nature, which, which, which we do quite often, you know what I mean? If, if, you know, you pray all the days of your life... And then if nothing happens, oh, that's God's will. If yeah. something happens, the Lord answer my prayer. It'll get better in the next life. Uh, exactly. This, this is absolute for me. For me. Not for the many people that I associate with. For me. This is absolute nonsense. You know what I mean? Any objective reading of any of these books, once your mind is not conditioned mm -hmm. by just reading the book alone, but not even knowing history, would tell you this is absolute nonsense. I keep telling people, what is the difference between the God of the Bible or of the Quran or anything else, and let's just say Zeus or Santa Claus or anything? What's the, what, what do you have to show that that's real as compared to showing that leprechauns are real or Santa Claus is real? I could say, well, you can say, well, Santa Claus is a myth. I said, no, he's not. He's just invisible. He lives up in the North Pole and he doesn't want anybody to see him. He lives on cookies. Exactly. Good wishes. Exactly. Now, how could you disprove that? You see? And so, again, you know, I have a great deal of difficulty uh, telling my close friends, you know what I mean? It's just like being a gay person, you know, coming out mm. and telling my friends that I do. A lot of Southern atheists will talk about yeah. that. And, and tell them, yeah, you know, like... Uh, my uh, name is Christian and people look at me sideways. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> like Matt Dillahunty and all of those people on, t on, on you know. Okay, you yeah, said it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, you know, I have a great deal of problems because in the Afrocentric community, because people, even though they do that, are still very spiritual and religious and all of this kind of... If you say it, you know, to them, there's a tendency for people then to ostracize you in a certain kind of way, all right? And... uh it's done very, very skillfully. Mm. You know, he doesn't believe in the thousand year head start. Yeah, he doesn't believe in the ancestors that you know they're really out there. You know, what I, mean? I believe in the ancestors in terms of honoring those who came before us, not that they're floating out there in in the uh, on you know on the astral plane helping me. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I believe in them in the cultural sense. You know, 
yeah, this person came before me. I honor their memory, I honor this. Not that they're out there, then I pray to them and then they do something for yeah. me. You see what I'm saying? And so uh, in, in the black community, those people who are conscious who accept that, if you tell them what I'm saying to you now, you will be ostracized. Oh, they'll shut you down. Yeah, directly or indirectly. You know what I mean? And so I'm very, very leery about saying that while I'm in this movement, which I can't get out of, you know, yeah. while I'm meant to say things that I'm saying to you right now about that. But in this office, everybody knows where I stand on that. You know what I mean? So again, it's equivalent to a gay person who just comes out, yeah. and, you know what I mean? And, uh, and they even have the wrong impressions about atheism. You know, I have to explain to them that atheist is a term for all people who do not believe in God. Yeah. All of those people have different motivations and different yes. things. And atheism, in reality, as you know, does not say absolutely there is no God. Atheism says there's no evidence for God. Yeah, you haven't brought me any evidence. You haven't brought me any evidence. You know, it doesn't say that there absolutely isn't anything. But I am saying, if there is anything, something out there, it damn sure ain't one of these things. Yeah. What was I going to say? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people would point to, like, mm -hmm. the black church and the civil rights right. movement, but they don't realize that's the only place black people could go. Yeah, exactly. Five black people on a corner, that's a gang. That's a right. Exactly. I mean, and even Matt Delahunty, he says there's nothing that religious groups or churches do that secular groups can't exactly. do. With, without 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 religion. Exactly. He's I mean, exactly it, it, right. It's interesting. I mean, it, I, I didn't realize we were into a lot of the same things yeah, here, Dr. Yeah. Connors. But I got one last question sure. for you. Once again, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, what can other quote-unquote so-called minority groups, be they Latinos, be they the LGBT mm -hmm. community, what can they learn from the African-American experience or African-American history in yeah. America? Yeah, uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> By looking at our struggle, in a nutshell, they're looking at a microcosm of their struggles. Absolutely. You know, all of the steps involved through slavery, after slavery, right up until this point, if they look at our struggle, not only can they get hints and clues and methods as to how to solve some of their problems, but our struggle in reality is their struggle. All right, the struggle for human dignity, the struggle for human respect, the struggle for everything that makes us who we are as human beings, that brings about a sense of equality and wholeness among human beings, is the struggle for all groups of people. The struggle of gays and lesbians and what they go through has been my struggle. The struggle of Latinos in all parts of the Latin American world, as I said earlier, I make no, it's my struggle. I grieve and I feel the pain of people of African descent, and even people who are not of African descent in Latin America who suffer oppression. I feel that struggle. I'm a human being. This is human dignity. I feel that struggle everywhere. You know, I feel, I even feel the struggle of people who were in Poland, who had to deal with, you know, uh, all kinds of people in Poland. Warsaw Ghetto. And exactly. That's a human struggle. So what they can learn from our struggle is one aspect of the human struggle, of the human dynamic, and how does this struggle relate to their struggle? You see, that's what they can learn. And as we begin to learn this and begin to see that we're all human beings and that we have similar struggles, similar desires, similar everything, and begin to liberate our mind from these little things that get us hung up, racism and this and colorism and all, get us hung up, then human beings begin, in my opinion, to progress and grow 
in a sociological sense, in a cultural sense, you know what I mean? And so the African struggle is everybody's struggle, you know what I mean? Any human being who's interested in the liberation of not only African people, but the liberation of mankind should be interested in the African struggle, you know, just as I'm interested in the struggles of all other groups of people. I don't care who they are. I study all those struggles and I see things in it and I see how they did what they did. I see what the goals were. And it impacts me and, and tells me things, whether ancient or minor, or, excuse me, or, or today. Mm. I look at those struggles and it tells me something about the human dynamic. And I empathize with those struggles and I sympathize, my tongue, yeah, sympathize with those, with those struggles. So that's what they can learn, you know, but they can also liberate their minds from their own particular prejudices, from their own particular idiosyncrasies. They can learn a lot. And so thus, as Dr. Clark said, African-American history is the missing pages of American history. You want to get rid of some of your prejudices, you know, even without taking a course in cultural anthropology or sociology, study the pages of African-American history. Study the pages of Native American history in this country. You know, you want to understand what's going on. You want to understand why Harlem and other black communities are being gentrified? Study the history of Native Americans. You know, Harlem, I tell people in all black communities, is being gentrified. Harlem is no longer majority black. I wasn't aware of yeah. that. I know as a about, lot of Latinos there. But. Yeah, it's no longer majority black as of about two months ago. All of the other groups of people now outnumber the number of blacks there, right? Uh, but Harlem is like the Black Hills of South Dakota. That's what it's like. If you look at Native American history and how settlers move in. Slowly. Yeah, and then supported by the army to displace them. That's the same thing that's happening in Harlem and other commun communities. This property is considered valuable property for which this unwanted group of people now occupy. Let's move them out, the powers that be. The individual white that moves into community may only see it as, I want a better way of life, this was available to me, I have the money to buy this, right? But the overall pattern is to remove an entire people from a place. That's why everything that goes up in Harlem and other black communities now are places where it is unaffordable for black people. The only people who are moving into those, it's not even Latinos, the only people moving into those places are white because the economics, the political situation all supports them, you see? So rather than looking at the individual white, we have to look at the broader picture. You know, the same problem that happened in Ferguson, mm -hmm. you know? The same thing, the problems in Ferguson began 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, yeah. you know, to create that situation, right? Blacks lived in the inner city in Ferguson, I mean in Missouri, they were moved to Ferguson, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And by moving them to Ferguson, all of the resources were taken out of the area. So the blacks didn't get the resources, didn't get the, you know, the services and all of that. It became what they call a restricted covenant. And it was done systematically. It wasn't done just as a matter of prejudice on individual whites. It was done through government action. Mm. It was written into law. Blacks cannot buy this property. Blacks cannot live here. Blacks cannot have this service. Redlining. Even this is even before redlining, okay? Redlining is how you got Levittown and other places like oh, that. Yeah. This is even before that. This is right after World War II. Mm. You know what I mean? And so again, most blacks, even when they had the GI Bill, could not access it. Yeah. 
you know? People say, what is institutionalized racism? Exactly. It was in the law. If you look at the laws, it was there. And even after the laws were abolished, the remnants of the law still remain. The culture of the law still remain. The thinking of the law still remain. So that the process continued even without the restricted covenant, you see? And so thus, you have people piled on top of people. The services are not there. And thus, black communities become associated with ghetto conditions by the whites. Services don't show up until exactly. blacks start to leave. E exactly. And so, again, then you have a community in which everybody's on top of each other. Uh, job opportunities are not there and everything else is not there. Then, of course, you're going to have crime. It's the same exact thing that you had in the white community before whites were accepted as whites by other whites, right? The ethnic whites. Exactly. The Irish right in New York City, right? Yeah. Uh, by other whites, ethnic whites, it was said that the Irish were innate criminals. They were born criminals. This is where we get the term the paddy wagon from. You, you know, the, the, the jail yeah. wagon. That's where the term comes from, the putting the Irish in jail. There were riots. The Italians in films were portrayed as criminals. Exactly. Uh, you know, when they had the first uh, Irish police commissioner of New York, the rest of the, wh uh, the whites had riots in New York City. Mm -hmm. You got an Irishman as a police commissioner? Catholic. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, when we study these things, it liberates the mind. It forces the mind to ask some questions about who we are, even if we don't belong to this ethnic group. Who am I? Yeah. You know what I mean? Who am I? It's yeah. interesting because right. the so-called ethnic whites, whether they right. be Italians, Irish, Jewish people, right. Eastern Europeans, they were all able to use their whiteness to ascend exactly. to greater white culture, whereas black people just no. cannot do that. America has a pathological relationship with black people that it doesn't even have with Native Americans uh, as, we, as a result of slavery and other things. It's pathological. Again, uh, you pointed uh, a little while ago about uh, crime or something. You said something about that, right? Uh, Blacks, in terms of the, the uh, statistics that you mentioned, blacks are the absolute, and Latinos, but blacks are the absolute targets of the police and the criminal justice system. And the media makes sure it plays that up in such a way. There's a book called The Black Image in the White Mind. Black Image in the White Mind? Yeah. It's a, we have it right here on campus. You can get it in the library. It's about how the media portrays blacks as compared to how they portray whites. It creates the image. Now, the criminalizing of the black image goes back way before the 20th century or the 21st century. It goes back to the era of slavery. Oh, yes. How did it happen? Well, all you do is, since blacks are slave and have no rights, anything they do that you don't agree with is a crime. So what you do is all of their actions are criminalized, for instance. Make blackness illegal. Yeah. If a black person is a slave on a plantation and breaks a tool, that's a crime. Right? They get punished for it, right? If a black person is on an assignment for their master walking down the street in the city and doesn't step off the street when a white person approaches, that's a crime. If a black person doesn't carry a lantern at night so that a white person can see their face, that's a crime. So what you do is you criminalize every action of an entire community and you criminalize their image. So when you fast forward, right, their image has already been criminalized and then you make sure that all of the necessary conditions in which crime will fester are created by the lack of resources, the lack of opportunities. Uh, you know about the chain gangs. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Felony laws. Felony laws were primarily instituted for black people in the South to make sure that black people could not vote in elections where they were in the majority. So what you want to do is just simply arrest them, put them in jail, criminalize them, and then when they get out, they can't vote out the white politicians who were you see? Yeah, I mean, in, right. in, in 
I mean, I, I could talk to you right. all day, right. Dr. Conyers. Right. Um, with regards to uh, the 13th Amendment, right? Uh, I believe, yeah, the 13th Amendment. Free um, the slaves. Ab abolishing yeah. slavery. Yeah. You're not allowed to be a slave or to be an indentured servitude unless, unless you're in you, prison. Yeah, exactly, unless you commit a crime. And so thus, the criminalizing of African people is done for all types of covert political, social, economic reasons. You know, according to the FBI Uniform Crime Report, black people and white people commit crimes at the same rate, primarily among their own people. Primarily among... Black, on black, black crime versus yeah. white on white crime. Exactly. However, as you pointed out, since blacks and Latinos are the targets of the criminal justice system and not the white community, right? The people that the criminal justice the police and the courts are going to focus on is us, all right? For all of the little petty crimes that white people commit that they don't get arrested for and we don't hear about, so you get the impression that's not going on in the community, mm. you know what I mean? And even though many white people commit crimes far greater in terms of the numbers of people, in terms of, you know, white-collar crime, you know, Bernie Madoff, you know, that affects huge numbers of people, but they still have all of the petty kinds of crime in their neighborhood that just doesn't get reported because all of the whites generally have connection with some other white people who will mitigate the sentence or you know, whatever it is. Oh, that's, that, that's a deep yeah. one. I mean, I believe in Ferguson, right. it was the police commissioner would make comments like, let's make it a black day. Exactly. They, he would tell his black uh, police officers, yeah. oh, I'm not talking about you. You're the exception. Exactly. Like, they were specifically targeting exactly. black people. And, and you talked about um, gentrification and whatnot. Right. What people don't realize, especially with regards to Baltimore, I believe it was 50% of black men between the ages of 16 and 64 mm -hmm. were unemployed. Yeah. When the steel moved out, right. I mean, these right. these people had no jobs. Exactly. They had no jobs. So there's always there's always a route to, to black right. rage. But I'm, I'm going to let you go. The phone's okay. ringing. Somebody I, else is yeah, coming in here. You, you talked about your legacy. Right. I just want to say a uh, big influence on me, big part of my oh, life. And you. it's been an honor to work and, uh, to listen, Please forgive feet, me sir. for stuttering my tongue. <laughs> I keep biting my tongue even while I was talking. <laughs> I have a, 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 a anyway. It, it happens. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Okay. Connors. I hope one day we can do this again. I anytime you want. Anytime Thank you, you want. Someone who comes from the Dominican Republic. Oh yeah, Dominicans. Yeah, the, the whole Dominican, the whole island is in denial about oh, its African heritage. Absolutely. Know? I mean, my girlfriend right. was the uh, former head of uh, the Holocaust Resource Center right. here. And she'll tell you that one of the few countries that actually took in Jews when the mm -hmm. Nazis were in power was the Dominican Republic right. because they wanted to, to um, yeah. anglicize or white, right. make white their, uh, yeah, exactly. their, 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 their people. I mean, it's, right. it's crazy. The saying uh, throughout Latin America, what is avanzar la raza? Uh, yeah, yeah, to, uh, to advance the race or mejor la raza, yeah. to, to make the race better. It, exactly. it, it's a shame. I mean, I was watching the same program with her. There was a Korean news reporter right. who had eye surgery because um, producers had told her that right. her features made her look indifferent to things. Right. And I, that, that kind of digs at me deeply. Right. I mean, white privilege is, is real, and people try to, like, denounce it. Yeah. But, like, me, I, I speak clearly. I'm educated. Right. I have Caucasian features. Right. I, have, I have, like, Mediterranean hair. Right. So even among my own people, and right. I'm not white, right. I, I, I reap the benefits of, right. of white privilege. Dr. Clark was born in Alabama and was Alabama. raised in Georgia. When he passed, we went to uh, we went to Georgia for the homecoming. Oh. You know, I was actually there because he was my teacher, you know. And so he was born in Alabama, but he was raised in Georgia.
take the blue pill. Story ends. You wake up in your bed and whatever you want. You take the red pill. Stay in Wonderland. were a dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> Just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> this is an impressive crowd, the haves and the have-mores. Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of Al Qaeda. No, we, we, we've had no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved with the September the 11th. talking about peace.